Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and usually my co-host Kyle uh, will take turns introducing each other to films, uh, and in this way we catch up on our cinema. Um, However, today we're going to be doing something a little different. Uh, Today, for the first time in the show's history, we're going to have a guest uh, who happens to have a podcast of his own. Uh, His name is Brad, and he runs the Cinema Speak podcast. And Brad, do you want to introduce yourself to the folks at home? Yeah, well, Trevor, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and honored to be your guys' first guest. Um, Yeah, my name is Brad. I host a podcast called Cinema Speak. Um, We're kind of a a movie review podcast, not quite as in-depth as you guys go with like single films, but we cover a lot of new releases, give maybe, you know, like a half hour long review and then cover other stuff we watched. Very... Um, I don't want to say, uh, definitely not, I don't want to say surface level, but very casual, kind of just fun, joking around, you know, conversation with friends. And, uh, one thing we tend to do a lot of is talk about the movie going experience and we'll go on tangents about like annoying moviegoers that we have to deal with. Obviously with, uh, movie theaters being closed down now, we don't have quite as much of that going on, but you know, we talk about, uh, watching the movie at home, any Netflix, uh, issues, I guess we had. Um, but yeah, you know, always just have a good time with it and, uh, you can check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere where you can find podcasts, just, uh, search for cinema speak. Yeah. Um, I mean, the thank yous go both ways here, Brad. Um, I'm very happy to have you here. Um, but also I'm very thankful that you, you had me on your show not too long ago. Um, that was my first guest gig on a podcast. Um, so, you know, this is me kind of paying, paying you back. Um, so what I gleaned from our conversation last time we spoke, though, was uh, we had a webcam chat, and I happened to note that, uh, dang, you have a pretty substantial collection of Blu-rays behind you, <laughs> um, um, and I do as well. Uh, so it got me thinking. It's like, huh, you know, CinemaSpeak podcast is largely about like films screening in theaters, um, and also you guys do micro-reviews and stuff for movies that you guys have caught up on since you last spoke. Mm-hmm. Um with your uh, rotating array of guest hosts and whatnot. Um, and I figured it would be a good opportunity for us to, you know, turn things inward a little bit and just talk about the movies that you and I own, like the the movies in our collection. Um, so the segment, uh, and this is, I guess, a pilot program for now, but uh, this is the inaugural uh, Tales from the Shelf. Tales from the Shelf, episode one blu-ray blunders yes um (laughs) so i I figured uh, it's the easiest things to talk about are the things that are most easily and readily referenced in our minds i think are negative memories (laughs) (laughs) so i figured i'd put on the training wheels for this first time out and uh have us talk about maybe some of the movies we're not especially proud to own like Mm -hmm. maybe some purchases that just don't sit terribly well with us um, and being as you are the guest on the show, um, I, I figure we'll do this in like a back and forth, like a show and tell format. Yeah. Um, maybe five or six movies a piece. Um, being as you're the guest, uh, I figure you should you should go first. Um, so, Brad, I asked you to pull some movies off your shelf in preparation. Um, what do you got up for me first? <laughs> well, first of all, when you uh, suggested this idea, you were like, uh, you know, can you come up with some, uh, you know, like embarrassing blu-ray purchases and i was like yeah what do you need like top 10 top 20 i was like i got loads of them <laughs> You're like, let's keep it to you know top five kind of around there so um i've obviously got way more that i can keep going with but um 
start off, can I do? Should I do an honorable mention to kick it off, or should I save that to the end? Uh, what do you think? Is is it really juicy? It's because if that's the case, maybe save it. it. It's not that juicy. It's not overly embarrassing, I guess. Um, yeah, I wouldn't classify it as embarrassing. More as uh, it gives me a headache every time I look at my collection. And that is okay. The, well, the, lead with that. Yeah, it's the uh, 40th anniversary collector's edition of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which this is one of my favorite movies. I love the film. I love almost everything about this release. I mean, it's four discs, loads of commentaries and special features. It looks gorgeous. The only problem is the packaging is so large that it I, never fits right on my shelf. I'm always having to like turn it to its side and angle it. It just ruins the whole flow of my collection, and if I do ever make custom shelves, I would have to know that it would have to be exactly as tall as this Blu-ray, because that is the the height that I would need to hit. If this was, uh, you know, the top of it, it'd be perfect all around my collection, but uh, fortunately, my shelves are a little too small, so this is every time I look at my collection, I have to cry a little bit because of this one. So you take everything off the shelf and you're kind of like absentmindedly, you know, alphabetizing things or whatever, putting them back. And then you stick it in there and you hear a thunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, dang it. It's like, one of these is not like the other. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the cover art on it at least looked pretty solid. Um, but yeah, the the shape of it, it's it's what, an inch too tall? Like a few millimeters? Uh, it's definitely... I think it's like even slightly bigger than a DVD size. So if you can kind of imagine how much that is bigger than a regular Blu-ray, this one's like even like slightly taller than that, I think. So, you know, it's just kind of a, it's a pain. It's a pain, but the, the, you know, the transfer looks amazing. So I'm like, I will deal with the awfulness of this being on my shelf to have a better looking Blu-ray rather than buying, you know, the like, cheapo 599 blu-ray that would fit in perfectly for this movie i'll I'll take the collector's edition that's a little bit of an eyesore just to give me the best possible uh quality of the film yeah the problem is it's like it's not too spectacular to the point that like it would make sense to give it like its own spot on the shelf yeah. or like put it on top of the shelf or something it's like yeah i mean it's great but it's not that great yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's no a weird in between where you know it's like we we're kind of talking before we recorded about the the godzilla the criterion godzilla set and like that one's so big and so like grand that it, you, you have to give it its own spot this one yeah it's just it's in that in between where it's not a regular blu-ray size too big for the shelf not big enough to have like on a display so it's kind of just you know it's the black sheep of the collection i mean it, let's let's just be honest well i guess at least the movie's good yeah so yeah. it's it's not a total bust. yeah that's that's why it's only bus. an honorable mention <laughs> all right well did you want to did you want to continue the lead though and and give give me your uh your first actual pick here yeah so my number five this once i uh, tell you this it's going to show where kind of all my picks are going um number five is a a three-way tie and it's three 4ks that i own um i do have kind of a a, you know a moderately sized 4k collection going as well and for me i ever since buying 4ks i don't know why but i said i have to get slip covers slip covers like when i started collecting blu-rays it was it was too late too far gone there were too many blu-rays slip covers that were out of it but like when I was just buying 4Ks, I was like, I could get a collection that's almost perfect with slipcovers and have it look pretty nice on the shelf. And it does look pretty nice, except for the three 4Ks I own 
that do not have slip covers, and that is The Revenant, The Shallows, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Uh, three films that I enjoy to certain extents, but uh, yeah, just looking at my 4K collection, these they ruin the, the pristine image of slipcover after slipcover. Um, so they are <laughs> definitely a little, little embarrassing, you know, if I'm, you know, bringing all my friends over to my place and I say, check out my 4k collection and all the slip covers that I've spent, you know, hours trying to find. And I've, I've paid extra just to get the version with the slip cover. And then these are there, they just ruin the whole thing. And it makes me question why am I even trying to do that anymore with, the, with these in my collection? <laughs> Jeez, Brad, you really yeah. take it to heart. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Seinfeld, but the cashmere, ep- the cashmere sweater episode, um, where there's this cashmere sweater that has a little imperceptible red dot <laughs> that somehow everyone points out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That we the viewer really can't even see. There, those three movies are your cashmere sweater. It is, yeah, the these are these are the dot. red dot. Yeah, because isn't it Jerry <laughs> or George? There, I think it's George doesn't notice it at first, and Jerry points it out, and he's like, "What's that? Uh, what's that little dot right there?" Well, literally everyone he walks up to is like, "Oh, it's so nice. Look at the fabric." What's this red dot? <laughs> so it's like people are looking over your 4K collection. They're like, oh, look, you got this and this. You got the Revenant and the Shallows. Wait a minute. Yeah, something <laughs> like, doesn't look right there. Slips. Why do those look different? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, man. Um, the Revenant actually was the first 4K disc I ever purchased. Um, Funny enough, the Revenant and the Shallows were my first two 4Ks that I purchased, actually. So. I, I blew it by buying them before I realized I wanted to get slipcovers. And then after I started <laughs> buying a few, I was like, oh, shoot, I should have tried to make, get those with the slipcovers. Oh, well, you know, yeah. it, you're you're still at that point where it can be done. Yeah. Like you, you, you know, there probably aren't even enough 4Ks in circulation that it would be an insurmountable task at this point. Um, so you exactly, can still do yeah. it. But, yeah, I mean, should... I, I bought The Revenant because uh, I referenced a Blu-ray.com and it had like maybe the highest rating for the visual fidelity at yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had just gotten a 4K player, and I actually blind bought that movie. I'd never oh, seen really? it at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I wanted to, um, but yeah, I, I bought it purely to like benchmark my system, basically. Um, wasn't wasn't upset with it. Like I, I don't think I'll have too many occasions to revisit it. Mm-hmm. It's not really that kind of movie, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from a visual standpoint... Um, I'm a believer in the 4K mostly because of that movie. Yeah. Um I saw The Shallows in the theater. That was a that was a fun time. That 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 filmmaker uh Alme Coet Serra. Yeah. I think he's Spanish. Uh his whole filmography is filled with like what I call like it's like classy trash mm-hmm. or trash done well cuz all of his movies are so garbage, but they're like really well made from a technical standpoint. Yeah. So I I like him. I do too. (laughs) You you got to respect the guy for not trying to, you know, go too far out of his comfort zone. Like he knows he's good at making these. He's not trying to do like you know Oscar Best Picture winners. He's just he's he's content to make these fun kind of like thrillers that are pretty trashy, but they got a nice sheen on them. They're usually well acted. They look good, and yeah, I like the guy. Oh yeah, no. I mean, as long as he gives Liam Neeson excuses to hit people, um, <laughs> I'm fine with that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But what what are your feelings on Solo? Because I I don't think I've listened to an episode if you did one on it. Um, yeah, we we I, we did, but it was like a few years it. ago now. Um, 
I've only, I still, you'll find probably I'll mention this with a lot of these movies, haven't bought the discs that I've, I haven't watched the discs that I bought, you know, that I bought them and they sit on my shelf. Um, but uh, I haven't seen it since theaters. I remember thinking it was okay. I wasn't overly crazy about it. Um, but, you know, it's Star Wars, so I know I'll revisit it eventually. So that's kind of the, one of the main reasons I picked it up. Yeah, I I barely remember it. I remember train sequence was all right. I remember it wrapped up pretty sloppily. Um, yeah, but it it wasn't awful or anything. Like I I don't have anything negative to say about. It. I just really don't have anything to say about it. <laughs> um, do you have a system for marking like like dog earing things that you you got to come back to or movies you haven't watched yet? Uh, no, not really, because that would probably be the majority of my collection. If I'm being honest. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's it's tough because, you know, if I buy, I don't know, I'm trying to think how many Blu-rays I buy a month, maybe on average, maybe five or six, some months maybe I only buy like one or two, um, but, you know, it's hard to keep up with because I'm always seeing new releases and then there's other stuff that I want to watch and just eventually stuff kind of slips through the cracks and so there's there's a lot that I have that I have either not watched at all and there's probably even more that like I've seen before, but I haven't bought like watched the actual disc that I bought, like The Revenant. I I've, I saw it in theaters, haven't watched it since I bought it. Um, that would probably I would say over half my collection is probably that case. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I I do that too, but I have a system where I pull things like halfway out on the shelf, mm, mm-hmm. or I or I have like a separate shelf where I just set things aside. So I'm oh. Fuck, that's like eight movies, and one of which is a TV series, and then that's not including the stuff that's been pulled out. What, what's <laughs> so the uh, what's I, the TV series? Uh, it's an anime, actually, and thankfully it's pretty short. It's like uh, it's called Megalobox, mm-hmm. and it's a remake of uh, Ashita no Joe, Tomorrow's Joe, which is a it's about boxing, um, which was from the sixties. Okay, it's a classic anime from way back when. Um, this one is the same premise, and I think maybe even some of the same character names, but set in, uh, like a what what would you call it? Like a cyberpunk future scenario mm-hmm. where it's not just boxing; it's boxing with robot arms. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Um, it looks pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, and I'm I'm a huge boxing fan, and I've actually seen the original, like the original version of the story. It has some classic story beats that. Uh, if they just stick to the source material, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's some like important character beats that's like if you skip that, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> because because that shit was important and it was done well. Well, I mean, um, we're we're all stuck inside now, so I mean, at least we have some time to probably catch up on our Blu-rays that we haven't watched. I mean, I guess we can look at that as somewhat of a silver lining in a very dark time. <laughs> I haven't gone to work in about four days now, and I have yet to watch a movie I haven't already seen before. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not exactly doing the best job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I guess that I guess it's to me now. Um, so I didn't I didn't exactly rank my picks. I just like grabbed a whole bunch of stuff off the shelves, mm-hmm. and um, I'm thinking I'm gonna try to like match match you like beat for beat a little bit here. So, um. I have a two-way tie here. Um, it could be four-way uh, if I included the DVDs, but I'm not going to bother. So um, I have for my first pick here, number five, um, Albert Pion's <laughs> Cyborg, um, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, and Fist of the North Star, 
Hokuto no Ken, uh, the motion picture. Uh, it's a Japanese animated film. Uh, so the reason I have both of these um, is also needs to be said. Uh, this uh, collector's edition of a of a cyborg is a Scream Factory mm-hmm. disc, um, and it it's a collector's edition. Uh, now this this is on me for not doing proper research, but um, both of these films have alternate versions that exist. Um, Cyborg in particular has like a producer's cut. Like which uh, which Halloween was it that had a producer's cut? Was it? I think it's six. Is it five? I think it's six. Five or six. Yeah. I want to say you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Cyborg has the equivalent of that, which is apparently monumentally better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and includes quite a few more action beats and um, some even some special effects photography. So it's just a better movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that is not included in this collector's edition. Um, even though it's a Scream Factory disc and they're you know known for putting good shit on their discs Mm -hmm. um and the same same problem with fist of of the north star um this movie as far as i know outside of maybe the original screening in the theater in like 1986 i i don't know if there exists a home video version of this movie that doesn't have some form of censorship oh really um because fist of the north star are you are you familiar with this at all not that one no okay so fist of the north star is like Take the world of Mad Max, put Bruce Lee in it, and then give his fist the power to cause people to explode. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds amazing. It sounds like the cool. It sounds like the coolest fucking thing. Yeah, ever, right. <laughs> it is. It really is. And and this movie, um, f- even by like nineteen, well, especially by nineteen eighty six standards, is exceedingly well animated at times. Um, and most of that animation budget is put towards people exploding in you know explosions of gore and guts and whatnot um however every home video release of the movie that i'm aware of um puts this very bizarre like post-processing haze like some sort of digital trickery like a filter of some sort hmm. over almost every instance of violence in the film either that or the color palette changes radically like people will be being sliced up and all of a sudden the color will change to like pure blue or pure red or blue pure uh, yellow or something okay um, so I was hoping and praying that this this would be like an uncensored version of the movie because it's the first time I think it's ever been in HD. And uh, to its credit, uh, all the non-violent scenes in the movie are pristine. Like the image quality is incredible. But whenever it gets violent, it looks like a straight up VHS tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that somebody peed on. <laughs> now, is that an import or is that a North American release? Both of these are... North American releases. Yeah. Um, who published this? Uh, I think this is a discotheque media uh, disc, and the other one, like I said, was a Scream Factory. Yeah. Um, I remember. I was kind of surprised. <laughs> I remember when Cyborg came out. Um, I don't. Do you ever go on Blu-ray.com um, at all and like look in the forums? Constantly. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I know uh, when Cyborg came out, I remember that was a controversy thing people were getting upset that it didn't have the is it producer's cut is that what they they refer to as the the superior cut i want to say that's okay. the name for it. it it might be a straight up director's cut mm-hmm. but either way it's a different version of the film that is difficult to find yeah have you ever um, seen so yeah, the preferred version does that have any sort of release i i haven't seen it personally but i think uh was it filmcensorship.com I think has stills and a text breakdown of all the differences between the versions. Gotcha. It's a good resource if you've ever been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, Brad, uh, it's to you. What do you got up for me next? All right. Uh, my number four uh, is one kind of a little similar to my number five in terms of I, I think the movie is great. Uh, the movie, I, I, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. The, the packaging that I bought is where it is atrocious. So this one is all on me. It is the Big Lebowski, but it's the steelbook with the sort of like comic book cover that is absolutely horrendous to look at has nothing to do with the movie like it this isn't even any it's not a comic book movie doesn't fit the aesthetic of the movie at all and i bought it early on in my blu-ray collecting when i was kind of thinking you know steelbooks they're superiors everything like anytime i could buy a steelbook buy it buy it buy it and i've since definitely slowed down on that i think partly because now it seems like Every movie that comes out comes with a separate steelbook version, and nine times out of ten, it costs you ten dollars more. So I've definitely cooled on steelbooks, and this one is just uh, just an eyesore to look at. I mean, it just I I don't like it. I think it's the same transfer as just the regular um, Blu-ray release. So in terms of that, it's you know basically the same. But uh, yeah, it's just when you mentioned like embarrassing Blu-ray purchases, this one was definitely one that jumped right to the front of my mind because of the cover alone. So folks at home, uh, you can't see this, but um, (sighs) there is a movie that my regular co-host Kyle and I shit on on the regular. Um, That would be Smokin' Aces. (laughs) <laughs> how dare you make me think of smoke and aces in this moment when i'm when i'm looking at the big lebowski an excellent film um but you're making you're conjuring up very 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 negative movies of a totally different film yeah but was that a uh was that a best buy purchase maybe i don't think it was i think i actually bought it at uh fye i want to say um oh wow yeah that's see that's a that's a regional thing yeah we don't oh we okay don't really, really have fye yet like we we I think we have like maybe one or two locations left, but mm-hmm. for the most part, FYE is moved out of Seattle area. Yeah, we've still got one near me. Who knows if it'll be still around after this is all over? I don't know, but uh, you know, it kind of seemed like it was on its last legs already. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think I bought it, and it was it was a decent price when I bought it. Um, but yeah, it's just I the, the look of it, the smoke and aces thing. Yeah, you're right on it. <laughs> <laughs> They're definitely trying to go after that sort of aesthetic for for such a good movie and and a movie that you know like the color palette and even the character of the dude it's like no it it should have more of a laid back like like think like wood texture or like mm-hmm. the texture of his of his sweater like it it should be more that aesthetic rather than like are we trying to piggyback on the MCU yeah. with this cover <laughs> <laughs> like the big Lebowski in the MCU I mean I'm all for it but yeah because I know I, I think yeah this is a universal steelbook I think there was like they did a line of like some of their classic movies with this sort of you know comic book aesthetic like I think Jurassic Park had one um, there were a few others that just not even comic book movie, just very odd. I don't yet. Yeah, maybe they were trying to, you know, make some sales on the popularity of comic book movies, but yeah, it's even like with the dude, how he's holding the, the bowling ball, it almost looks like he'd be holding a gun there. I mean, I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if this was like temp art for smoke and aces and they just, you know, put all the big Lebowski characters on it instead. 
Yeah, I mean, I could, I could totally see maybe like a, a stepdad who's trying to get in good with like the kids or something. Be like, oh, the Big Lebowski. I think this is one of those superhero movies. <laughs> like, like, I should get this for little Timmy. Right. <laughs> like, he's a, he's into that. <laughs> <laughs> trying to fool you with the packaging or something. I think. But no, the 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 reason I ask about the the Best Buy thing is that I know they put out a lot of steel books. Uh-huh. Um, I think I only have maybe one steelbook in my entire collection it was because i had no other options um, yeah it's it's a the japanese version of unforgiven mm-hmm. um which i i am so blown away that it has not had an international release as far as i know i had to import it and i had to import like the hong kong version of it oh really um, but it's it's ken watanabe in the clint eastwood role and it you know it swap out guns for katanas and you have a pretty awesome movie <laughs> yeah um, i was really i was really excited to see it but um that was the only way i could get it and it just so happened to be a steelbook well that's definitely not an embarrassment if that's the only way you can get a film then even if the, the steelbook looked ugly i would say like if this was the only way to get the big lebowski it would not be on my most embarrassing list but that there is other versions of packaging and i think i've actually seen other steel books like i think there's a steel book with like a white russian and like bowling pins that's kind of like a minimalist that looks a lot cooler than this um i know there's one that has a zip-up sweater on it okay like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it literally has a fabric like e- external sleeve you slot it into i would prefer that um, to this probably <laughs> <laughs> i don't believe you <laughs> um i i do want to point out like how uh i know listeners can't see it but it's kind of like each major character has their own sort of panel on the front, like a comic book panel. And then uh, at the top, even though he's not a major character, you've got Saddam Hussein in the top uh, comic panel for his, like, uh, blink-and-you'll-miss-it cameo in the bowling alley where he hands him his shoes. Oh, yeah. That, oh my, I almost forgot that. Wow. Very odd to put that on the front <laughs> cover of the film. But, uh, like, Phil, Philip Seymour Hoffman isn't on here anywhere, and he's in the... he's a Really? Yeah, he's not on the cover anywhere, so... Wow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that that reeks of like a designer who hadn't seen the film. It really does. Making a poster for it. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Yeah. He saw or that. Either that or. He saw the dream sequence and he figured that was just like the whole film. So he put Saddam Hussein on the front cover. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, that's the movie. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, so I guess it's to me. Um, and this, I guess, will be number four. Again, mine aren't ranked. I don't know if yours are. Yeah, mine are kind of ranked. Like, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> I, so, what's it going to be? Um, okay, so this is a four-way tie. Ooh, all right, all right. <laughs> um, so, this is me getting carried away, obviously. But So, I have... Oh, only one import disc. That's 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 good for me. Um, so, for my number one of uh, Blu-ray blunders here, um, I have... Invincible Dragon. This is an import disc um, from China. Uh, I have the double pairing of a kickboxer. <laughs> was it Ve- Vengeance and Retaliation? And Karate Kill. Ooh, all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, dig, like peep that cover art. It's pretty. It's pretty bitchin'. Yeah. Um. So there's a theme throughout all of these releases, um, and that would be um, I'm a I'm a big fan of martial arts movies. Um, fight choreography and just stunt work in general in movies is pretty much why I watch movies. It's it's my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
How about you, Brad? I really, I don't think I've asked you about that. Like, is, is that a selling point for you at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously you're more of an expert in that area than I am, but yeah, I love, uh, the little bit I've seen of, you know, martial arts films and, um, like I've seen a lot of recent ones, like I've seen the, the raid movies have incredible fight sequences and action. And I love those films. And yeah, I, I love uh, well choreographed fights in action movies for sure. Oh yeah, I've been saying it for years. Like if I made movies, every movie would end with some sort of fist fight, even if it's like a romantic comedy or something. Mm-hmm. Like it would play over the credits. Like everybody, <laughs> it's like okay, we have our breeding pair. They get married in the church, and then somebody throws a punch. And playing over the credits, it's like the equivalent of what is it? The the big pie fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> um, but the through line uh, across all of these four movies is a. Uh, a thing that happens a lot in martial arts movies, and this has been happening at, at least in the U.S. Uh, forever, is uh, I think Steven Seagal is the prototypical example of it. But basically you have a guy who um, gets a finger pointed at him by a producer or somebody, and they say, you're going to be the next big thing. Um, and then it doesn't quite work out. Yeah. Like Steven Seagal had a lucrative career for like five years, and then he put on some weight and now he's a now he's a russian citizen and i don't know if he's welcome back in this country i don't (laughs) think so (laughs) Um, but um so all of these movies are headlined by people who showed a lot of promise and as far as i can tell um went nowhere Mm -hmm. um so invincible dragon is headlined by max sang and the big selling point for the movie is that he squares off with a former ufc middleweight champion anderson silva in it um, I put a clip on my Instagram or, or the catching up on cinema Instagram from the finale of this movie because holy fucking shit. I've seen some hokey stuff uh, in Chinese movies. This was like dialed up to a level. I was like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm watching anymore, but that is a sea serpent attacking Anderson Silva. <laughs> a poorly rendered CGI sea serpent attacking Anderson Silva. Um both the kickboxer movies are headlined by uh, Alain Moussi, uh, who is French, I believe, and he was supposed to be like the heir apparent of Jean-Claude Van Damme, who, of course, was in the original kickboxer and is in these, for that matter. Um, he He's a talented martial artist, but he can't act worth a shit. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> and even even just his, his charisma, I think, is the problem. It's like you can have the moves, you can have the look, but if... If I don't believe in you or care about you, then I can't watch an hour and a half of you kicking people. Yeah. Because it's just going to bore me. Uh, and then to finish things off, uh, Karate Kill. Um, this uh, The headliner of this movie just goes by Hayate. And as far as I know, this may be his only headlining role. He may have some like Japanese stunt work. This is actually a Japanese film, but a large portion of it is shot in English. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who financed it, but... Uh, Definitely had somebody in the U.S.'s blessing. It's not strictly a Japanese production. But um, I was really excited about this one because the teaser for it was just like a a two-minute one-take fight sequence with him and some other people. But then they do this stupid horse shit where they they rotate the camera on its axis. So at one point, you're upside down watching this fight sequence. Really? And it's like, this isn't helping my enjoyment. Yeah. This is actually just befuddling. <laughs> this is making me nauseous and making me turn my head. <laughs> like, um, it's some Andy Kaufman shit or something. <laughs> where it's like, you know, it would make this better if we cut out 10 frames of it in the middle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all, all four of these movies I, I bought. I was 
I had a nagging feeling they were all going to suck, and I was right. Um, although, uh, kickboxer retaliation, I will say, um, the, just the novelty of some of these matchups. Um, so we have Mike Tyson doing a fight sequence in the movie that's actually decently choreographed. Uh, he, in the past couple of years, went on a tear just doing martial arts movies. Really? Like he made he made multiple films in China, um, he made this. Uh, it, he put in work. <laughs> the guy's got a lot <laughs> of bills surprised. to pay. I mean, let's be honest, you know. <sighs> yeah, and then some. <laughs> but now he sells pot, and he's doing all right apparently. <laughs> but on top of that, you have uh, the legally blind Christopher Lambert facing off with Jean Claude Van Damme in a sword fight because it's Christopher Lambert and most people only know him for Highlander. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do think it's really funny that, so you mean you gave a blind man <laughs> a Claymore <laughs> <laughs> in multiple films throughout his filmography and you thought that was okay? <laughs> <laughs> I think Michael Ironside like literally lost a part of his person to, to Christopher Lambert winging a sword around without being able to see. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the the final matchup here is uh, see I haven't actually watched Game of Thrones but I did listen to your uh, some of your episodes on it on the Cinema Speak podcast uh, because mm-hmm. I don't care much about spoilers. Um, Hop for uh, Bjornsson, the the mountain. Oh okay, uh, is the yep. principal antagonist in this film, and he has a surprisingly protracted fight sequence. Um, both of these kickboxer revival movies have a lot of like mixed martial artists like retired and active uh, UFC guys in them and all of their fight scenes suck and I, I have to imagine part of it has to do with the fact that they're active athletes and as as a choreographer as a, as somebody putting together the stunt work for the film it's like their livelihood is their body if they get injured on the set uh, heads are going to roll in the courtroom <laughs> that's a good point yeah so him being a like an active strongman guy i was like oh are they gonna like not have him do much because they certainly can't have a body double for him because he's definitely one of a kind (laughs) um and i I was to my shock and surprise uh they had him on screen for like five minutes throwing hands and it wasn't it wasn't awful Mm -hmm. but the movie was awful (laughs) yeah i mean that's got to be somewhat disappointing because you i mean the main reason i would think you'd watch those movies is because you're hoping for some you know fun fights well choreographed um and if they're not up to snuff then i'm assuming that you know the the plot isn't gonna pull you in very much (laughs) oh no like most of the movies on my shelf like i mostly started collecting movies because of uh, the chapter select feature on dvds like before that i had a handful of vhs movies of movies i knew i was going to watch over and over and over again Mm mm-hmm good movies but now that we have chapter select i can i can spend my money on bad movies <laughs> and just skip ahead to the good part right yeah and i don't have to feel bad about it <laughs> yeah oh that's kind of interesting um, yeah so that was your kind of like gateway into collecting dvds and then into blu-rays and yeah it's like i can buy an action movie and even if i know it's a bad movie it's like i still have the action scenes that now i don't have to hunt for them and mm-hmm. i don't have to rewind the tape or anything so this is great <laughs> see you know today's generation not that i want to sound because i kind of am today's generation but not that i want to sound like an old man like you know i will say that is a benefit that you know when i'm talking to my friends and they're like why do you spend so much money on blu-rays one that i don't bring up is the chapter select which is nice 
because if you've ever had to like close out of a movie on a streaming service and rewind up to the point where you it it's a pain it takes a while like some of them are better than others but yeah they don't have a good way to like scan through a movie really and get to where you were yeah no it's it's one of those things that it's like i don't use many streaming services mm-hmm. um but you know and i'll take i'll take any reason i can get uh to to wag my finger at them and be like you oh, know there's a better way yeah. <laughs> <It's just> like... <laughs> my uh my friend hayden he he's the one that gives me the most crap about it and we we do it in good fun but i don't know if you saw the thing recently in europe where netflix was like restricting bandwidth um because so many people were going online because they were quarantined and netflix was reducing their video quality essentially and I sent that to him, and I'm like, "This, this is exactly what I've been talking about for years." <laughs> that's your, that's your prepper moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> instead of baked, instead of baked beans, you have movies. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's always in 4K? Brad's movies. Yeah, I, I've never been more proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, that being said, um, that was a mouthful for me. So uh, it's to you, Brad. What do you got next? All right, now we're going to start getting into the lower quality of films now. Now it's a little less about the packaging and more about the quality of the films um, and partly the, the purchase history, how I, how I purchased this. So I'm a pretty big fan of, uh, I'm, I, I would say you're into, you know, like uh, anime and martial arts. I'm into horror movies a lot. That's kind of my thing. I love horror movies. I've got tons of terrible old horror movies on Blu-ray. Most of those I'm actually I I don't mind owning them even if they are terrible because I just like I I don't know I get off on collecting those. Um, one of my favorite franchises, at least in the modern era, is the Final Destination films. Um, and I I just I think the premise is simple. You know exactly what you're going to get every time. But there's one of them that is way far below the rest of them, and that is the fourth film, The Final Destination. So. First of all, you've got they all of a sudden they went from Final Destination to Final Destination 2, Final Destination 3, then they went called this one The Final Destination, and then after this one they go to Final Destination 5. So they go back to the numbers after this one. So that just kind of gives me a headache to begin with. And uh this is easily the worst of the franchise. Um the kills are so over the top and goofy that you can't even get any sort of like enjoy like not to say enjoyment but they're just there it's like you're watching a looney tunes cartoon and not to the point where they they don't make it comedic enough where it's like supposed to be funny it just the film doesn't work it's terrible and this is also an embarrassing one for me because when i bought this even though i love the movies i love the franchise i bought this thinking that it was final destination 5 which is one of the better entries and so I got home and I like looked at it and I was like, oh, this is the wrong one. And I was too lazy to return it. And I'm like, well, you know, I like the franchise enough that I guess it's OK to have on my shelf. But yeah, totally bought it thinking it was a completely different movie. And so I was a little embarrassed to know that I bought the one that is easily the worst of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Brad. Um which uh, which Final Destination movie has the the pommel horse death the uh, gymnastics? That's one? that's the fifth one. That's the one that's one of the best. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. I remember a handful of kills from those movies. Um. That and Saw. I I will bite for Saw. Um. Final Destination and Saw. Like I, 
I spend most of my time reading about horror movies rather than watching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not because like, actually part of the problem is that I I don't get scared very easily at all because my analytical brain won't shut up when I'm watching most movies. So I, I get caught up in the filmmaking rather than just the, the raw like emotional gut reaction you get, like the visceral feeling you get from watching like a yeah. horrifying film or something. Yeah. Um, so more often than not, I end up watching like slasher movies and like 80s horror movies. They're just like trashy fun, mm-hmm. like not very cerebral. Like like uh, Kyle, my co-host, he's he's like in the prime of his life right now, enjoying all this uh, elevated horror is what they're calling it, I think. Yeah. The hereditaries and the get get outs and that kind of. Yeah, exactly. No, he, he loves horror movies. That's totally his jam. Um, and he is he's loving the, the recent output of like stellar, like high quality horror movies. Whereas me, I I live on like the equivalent of like Cheetos <laughs> like, of, of horror movies, just like junk food horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like movies like Final Destination, that's more my wheelhouse is like, oh, this this is trashy fun, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's not asking much of me, but it's fun. Um I remember that, and was it in two? Uh, a pane of glass falls on top of some dude. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Yep, that was a good one. Yeah, uh, especially because that dude, like, I think he had like a kind of a dickish outburst right before, and just, he's standing perfectly still and just—it's <laughs> it's pretty tasty. Yeah, I, I think I don't um, know the franchise. Like, I think I, I do like the Saw films as well. Um, but with those, I think there's there's too much convoluted plot, and it seems like it takes itself a little too seriously. Like this one, they're still horror films, but I feel like the Final Destination films kind of know that they're junk food, and so they're kind of just going for you know the gore, the kills, the fun of it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I like it. I just I think they come up with some creative kills, and uh, it's the type of thing they haven't done one in a while. I would say just bring them on. I mean, you could just run this yeah. into the ground forever, I think. And, you know, some of them might be duds like the fourth one that I have here. Um, but, you know, <laughs> as long as there's at least one or two creative kills in the film, I think it makes it at least somewhat worth it. That's actually like, for me, a huge part of uh, franchise filmmaking. Um, every time I watch a new entry in a, a franchise that's long in the tooth, uh, my, my number one question is always, does it justify its existence? And if the answer is yes, then I'm not mad at it. If the answer is no, then that means it needs to take a breather for a yeah. <laughs> Um And yeah, Final, Final Destination, I, I don't have a problem with. Uh, I mean, Rube Goldberg machines are just fun in general. They are. And doing it with death, doing it with death just makes it all the more fun. <laughs> but um, in regards to the naming convention of, of number four being called The Final Destination, it, it, it brings to mind uh, The Thing, where you have... The Thing from Another World, uh, John Carpenter's The Thing, and then 2011, The Thing. Mm, yeah. So if you put that on your shelf, you have The Thing from Another World. Okay, that's cool. But then you have The Thing and The Thing. But technically, in the canon of those movies, the 2011 film is a prequel, not a remake of the John Carpenter film. So how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> that's a good question. How do you do that? Now, let me ask you this. When you're like putting movies on your shelf, do you generally, would you put everything in like alphabetical, like is your shelf in alphabetical order, I guess I should ask, first of all? Yeah. Okay. It is. Would, do, are you like completely strict alphabetical order or would you maybe, if something's close enough, you would change it 
so that like the franchise is in order. I'm trying to think of an example, like maybe the X-Men films. Like if you did it like strict alphabetization, X-Men Apocalypse would probably be one of the first ones, even though that was one of the mm-hmm. later films. Me, I if it like X-Men, everything that falls under there, I would put in order. At least I, I guess I should check my shelf. I, I assume I would. <laughs> um, I wouldn't put it in strict alphabetical order. But like Logan, I would put in L because that is like not even close to X Men. So I put Logan all the way over in L. I don't know how you would handle that situation. Yeah, I when it comes to franchise films, um, I do it chronologically. Uh, although, then you come to the problem of canon, where it's like, what if you have a like a, a prequel film that came out chronologically later? It's like, oh my god, you're ruining my show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like Godzilla is one of the big ones, actually. Like that for me, it's like it has to be chronological. Mm-hmm. Um, you you can't do it any other way because those movies don't have, for the most part, they just don't have numbers in them. So it's just like Godzilla versus somebody or other. <laughs> and it's like, and it's certainly not alphabetized. But yeah, uh, organizing shelves is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard and it, it's a pain. But I actually like get way too much enjoyment out of it than I probably should. Like I've I've had a few times where I've moved or like uh, when I came home from college and you know moved all my blu-rays back and stuff um i don't know i got a lot of enjoyment out of having to resort my entire collection onto the shelf like i think a lot of people would think it's a pain and a waste of time i don't know it's like that's that's a fun saturday night for me man i love that shit it's uh it's the equivalent of brad's asmr yeah so he, he's <laughs> slotting he's slotting thing, things on the shelf and his eyes roll back in his head and he just goes oh yeah, when you start oh, to break us, when you start to break a sweat from you know having to get up and put the th- movies on, and w- once you break a sweat from movie collecting, I mean that's a good feeling right there. Yeah, you put together half your shelf, and it's like, oh, I need a cigarette. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so what is it to me? Uh, yeah, because I just did Final Destination. Okay. Um. Okay, this might alienate some of some of our listeners. Crap. Um, <laughs> so oh I have another a two-way tie, and these are two movies that um, actually share a similar uh, similar grievance with the ones I mentioned previously. Um, but on top of that, they're also movies I'm embarrassed <laughs> to own. The o- the Perfect. other ones, not so much. These ones, though, I'm like, I need to get rid of these, but I need to like <laughs> dispose. I need to dispose of them like discreetly because i i have like i have like secondhand stores that i frequent it's like i don't want those people to know that i had these (laughs) like especially in seattle like people 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 will judge me they'll they'll make assumptions uh so these might end up in the trash someday um that being said uh i have american assassin okay (laughs) And Mile 22. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's one I don't own, but I have seen Mile 22. I have seen that one. <laughs> now, see, if I remember right, on a, on previous episodes you've done, you, you kind of like Peter Berg, right? For the most part, yeah. I, I, I like his, you know, true life uh, sort of hero stories that he's done with Mark Wahlberg. Um, but I would say Mile 22 is uh, definitely a miss. <laughs> that was one that that's, didn't that's work That's a for totally me. different beast. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I see. I I actually like Lone Survivor. Mm-hmm. I haven't bothered with Patriots Day or Deepwater Horizon. Um, he Peter Berg makes me nervous, man. Like I've seen him in in interviews, and he has this 
like intense air of reverence towards the arms armed forces mm-hmm. that it it reeks of maybe somebody who wishes he had done the thing that other people do um it's he has like a guilt complex about it or something i could see that, that yeah. like he does he does these like martyr stories because like he he's like oh man i should have been in that bombing it's like no peter Berg, you're a filmmaker <laughs> and an actor <laughs> and you're okay at both so just keep doing what you're doing you're, you didn't do anything wrong trust me he's like, i just need a hug <laughs> but I, yeah i i peter Berg is to me um he's he's like a he's very similar to michael bay in some ways mm-hmm. and they definitely have a kinship with one another like they they share castmates and even like aesthetically their, their movies share some similarities yeah um it's one of those things like if I if I had the time, which I do now, um, I should do like a study on both of them, just like the the differences and connections here and there, because there's there's something there. I'm not sure. I, exactly. I would almost say that if there was like a spectrum, you could put Michael Bay at one end, then in the middle would be Pete Berg, and then on the other end would be Paul Greengrass, who did like United ninety three and Captain Phillips, and his are like you know kind of he covers some similar territory to Pete Berg like these real life incidents but I think Paul Greengrass is a better filmmaker because his are very much more you know in the moment documentary style not you know not glorifying anybody sort of just like this is how it happened this is the true story or I think Pete Berg and Mark Wahlberg they definitely get a little a little too not, not that it's bad to be patriotic but a little too patriotic to the point where it's like we're getting into like borderline cheesy territory yeah, they they take some liberties. Yeah, um, Peter Berg definitely seems more intentional about Michael Bay. Seem- Michael Bay, is, I want to say he's a very nihilistic person. Like I think he just he's looking at all of us, all of us pigs going to see his movies and just laughing at us, all of us. Yeah, like I don't think he, I don't think he believes in much of anything. It's just like give me give me money and I'll make I'll make it look sexy, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, case in point, um, that was it Six Underground or whatever. Still have not. Uh, I've still have not seen that one. <laughs> that movie is trash. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's unbelievable trash though. Because like I was talking to my brother about it, and it's like the best example I can think of of like this is a filmmaker being given a pile of money and being told just do whatever the fuck you want. Um, he needs to be reeled back. <laughs> like he really like making Transformers movies and whatnot. People shit all over those. I do too. But that's an example of Michael Bay having to like defer to a producer every once in a while yeah um six underground is just him going nuts and doing what he feels like and it's like oh my god why do so many of the sets look like a meatloaf music video (laughs) (laughs) like why is everyone so greasy (laughs) i I feel like that's a problem with a lot of netflix movies because i've heard that netflix is pretty hands-off with their creators they kind of just say you know we trust you go do what you do I feel like after having seen enough bad Netflix movies, it kind of makes you think, you know, maybe it is good to have some producers there saying, you know, let's, you know, reel in the director's vision a little bit because there's been, I mean, there's been some good Netflix movies, but there's been a lot of, a lot of trash from directors who can, you know, sometimes put out good stuff. Like even Paul Greengrass's uh, movie, I can't even remember, 22 July, I think it was. Even that was kind of like lesser Paul Greengrass. So, wow, I didn't know he worked with them. Yeah, it was. But, um, it was. It was another one. It was another true story, kind of. Uh, you know, disaster tragedy too. Okay. Um, 
It's funny. There's there's a name that came to mind uh, while you were talking about uh, the Michael Bay and the Peter Bergs of the world. <laughs> um, um, not only not only Paul Greengrass, but uh, Jonathan Liebsman is one that I think needs to probably needs to be talked about at some point too, because uh, he I think worked for Platinum Dunes. So he he was like a director for hire under Michael Bay. Um, he did the Ninja Turtle Ninja Turtles movie, the most recent one. Yep, gotcha. And like Battlefield L.A. Um, so it's like. This he's like an appendage almost. It's like, hey John, can you like kind of do what I I do, but like shittier? <laughs> so like, sure, I could do that. <laughs> Although I think uh, I think I heard some good things about the. Oh, did he do Texas Chainsaw Massacre the beginning or just the remake? I think he just did uh, the beginning. The beginning one. The remake was not was not bad. Mm-hmm. I can't speak for the beginning though. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, Battle Los Angeles, Wrath of the Titans. I mean, just, you know, this guy's got a stellar filmography right here. I mean, <laughs> well, uncredited on Doolittle. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> That's awful. I didn't know that. I still got to see um, that movie. But, but um, in regards to American Assassin, this movie, Mile 22 is just bad. It, it doesn't succeed in any area as an action movie or otherwise. Marky Mark is straight up obnoxious in it mm-hmm. because Marky Mark... To me, his his best talent as an actor is Dirk Diggler. Um, yeah, <laughs> like like to me, that's what he does. Sincerity is what I think he does best. Mm-hmm. Is when he plays somebody who is aloof to the point that they don't know they're dumb. Like he's very good at that. Like Pain and Gain, that was a very another good performance yeah, from him. Yeah, yeah. But in this movie, he is straight up supposed to be the smartest man in the room <laughs> all the time, and it's like. What <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> and then Ronda Rousey's there for no reason. She gets blown up conveniently in the first half of the movie. Participates in basically none of the action sequences. Yeah. And like a huge reason why I bought the movie is because Iko Uwais from the Raid films has a key role in it. And he gets to do a couple of cool things, but for the most part he's just kind of pushed to the background. Um and like I said, like I'm always looking for the next big thing. He's already arrived. Like he doesn't need help anymore. But this is actually like his. It was like his first big American role. Um, Stuber is far and away the better film between these two. Really, like American films. Yeah, I didn't know Stuber's he was actually in Stuber. pretty good. Yeah, no, I I rented Stuber from my local Redbox specifically because I saw him on the poster. Oh, and I was wow. like, that's fucking equal wise with blonde hair. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see him punch Batista yeah. and he and he punches Batista. <laughs> Promise fulfilled. <laughs> and it's a better movie than Mile 22. I, be- I believe um, but that. American, but American Assassin is trash. Unless you like watching Taylor Kitsch get punched, which I do. <laughs> I really do. Because I, I have no love in my heart for that man. Uh, but this Dylan O'Brien guy who's the lead, he... He is just a charisma vacuum. I think he was in like the Maze Runner or something. Something mm-hmm. I haven't seen. Maze Runner. The Maze Runner is actually bracket. not that bad, but yeah, he's not great in it or anything. <laughs> I mean, what what am I supposed to get? What what does he bring? Like, what? Tell me, Brad. What what does this Dylan O'Brien bring to the table? <laughs> he, he reminds me of uh, that Logan Lerman guy too. They kind of look yes, similar. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Except Logan Lerman has like grown as an actor and done other things, mm-hmm. and now he's acceptable. Yeah. When he was Percy Jackson, it's like I don't know about this kid. But then like what Fury and stuff like that happened, it's like oh, okay, you're all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, that's right. He was good in that one. Yeah. But Dylan O'Brien for now is still Percy Jackson in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this movie is 
just really really bad and uh, politically it's it's, it's, yeah. it's a little uh racy and uh <laughs> a huge reason why i bought this one is again it always comes back to martial arts scott adkins who is my boy like he is if scott adkins looks at a script i will watch that movie mm-hmm. because he is he's my go-to guy like as as far as martial arts talent and film goes scott adkins is the guy right now has been for quite a while um and he has a very small role in this movie uh he gets shown up by this dylan o'brien in fisticuffs which is very upsetting (laughs) (laughs) um the only legit good part of this movie is when michael keaton is being tortured and he likes it (laughs) and he gets to he gets to go full fucking batman on them (laughs) Uh, he gets to he doesn't exactly say, "Do you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts." <laughs> um, but but he wants to. You can tell there was probably an outtake that they didn't put in the film where he actually said the line. Yeah. Um, but th- that's the only actual good thing in the whole movie. I am. Why am I touching this? I need to put it away. <laughs> <laughs> I, the memory that I have of that movie, I haven't seen that movie, but uh, because I go see movies in theaters a lot, that trailer for that movie popped up. I swear, in the three months before it came out, in front of every movie I went to go see, and it got to the point where, because I, ne- I never wanted to see the movie anyway, but I was like, I I made it a purpose to never watch it, because that trailer just drove me insane, because it was just, the movie looked so boring, so dull, and I just had to keep watching that two-minute trailer seemingly once a week, and it was, it was brutal. Well, if you want to piss off your friends and just do, like, what was it called in... A- the novel uh, 1984 i think it was like the two minutes hate or whatever mm. where it's it's a societal ritual where everyone in the population just like spews vitriol and anger to the heavens um for two minutes straight to like get their emotions out yeah if you just want to do that on one of your podcasts or something just do american assassin yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just you and whoever else is on the show can just... Yeah, I mean, if we run out of things to review, I mean, American Assassin, it's going to it's gonna get moved up the pile, I guess. <laughs> okay, well, that's enough of that. Um, Brad, uh, what do you got next? All right, uh, my, num- my second place is a, it's a tie. Um, this one is two movies, both of them from the same uh, distributor, distributor line. They are two movies from the Vestron Video Collectors series, and they are Blood Diner and Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Now, these movies are part of the Vestron Video series, which, when it was first announced, I believe it's owned by Lionsgate, and Lionsgate said, you know, we're going to put out all these old horror sci-fi movies. We're going to put them with, you know, great transfers, special features, kind of going after a similar market to what Scream Factory has done, but with all the things that the old 80s horror movies that Lionsgate owns. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is going to be big like Scream Factory. And I've always wanted to own, like, a complete set. Like, how cool would it be if I was collecting movies early on enough that I could have bought like all the Scream Factory collector's editions and, you know, kept up on that. At at this point, there's too many that I can't catch up, but this is like a new line that was coming out. I'm like, I can buy, they're they're releasing like one of these a month. I can keep up on these real easy. So I bought these two movies essentially just to complete the line. 
Um, hadn't seen either of them. Now I did watch Blood Diner uh, when it when I did uh, some like Halloween watches. I thought it was pretty terrible. It was re- it was quite bad. Um, I mean, it, 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 there's a little bit of cheesy eightiness fun to it, but it's it's tough to get through. And Chud to Bud the Chud is a horror comedy from the 80s, uh, 1988. I really, I gotta be honest, I have no intention to ever watch this. I've heard nothing but awful things about it. Everybody who buys these movies say they've only bought this one to complete their collection, and that is 100% the reason that I bought it. I would not have bought it any other way. And the unfortunate thing is that they have essentially stopped making these Vestron video Blu-rays. So now I've got like 12 of these. So I do have like a complete line, I guess. But, you know, I was hoping that it would be a little more impressive. Like I could have like a full 50 of them or something. And now it's like, wow, they released 12 of these things. I mean, what what was the point of this? Like, <laughs> So you have a complete incomplete collection. Basically. And... I don't know, on Blu-ray.com, people keep talking about, somebody at Lionsgate says they've, oh, we've got two more Vestron Blu-rays. They're ready to go. They're going to go soon. Um, but they haven't released one in like a year and a half. Like the last one to come out was Maximum Overdrive. And that was, I think that was like at the end of 2018 or something. Or say it's mm. it's been a while. So I think the Vestron line is dead. That sounds like a, a dead line. Yeah. That's unfortunate, man. Um one of my favorite podcasts actually one of the ones that inspired both kyle and i to do our own uh, we hate movies has an episode on bud the chud mm. um it sounds awful but they had fun with it so yeah if you if you just if you want to have the movie talked at you <laughs> um that's a good way to go about it um i don't know blood diner uh, it for a second i was thinking it was motel hell because uh, my parents have a funny story about that one but blood Diner's not known to me yeah I, I think Motel Hell is out by Scream Factory. They they put out a Blu-ray a while ago. Um, that's one I've never seen. I've always wanted to see it. But yeah, Blood Diner, it's a, a remake of a film from the, um, I think it's from the 50s or 60s called Blood Feast. And uh, I don't know if it still is, but that that one was streaming on Shudder. So this past Halloween, I watched both Blood Diner and Blood Feast. And uh, it, Blood Diner is a very loose remake of Blood Feast. Um, it's goofy. It's, I mean, it, it goes for comedy, and it's not even remotely funny. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with horror comedies, but this one just, you know, if we're talking jokes that hit versus jokes that miss, I mean, it's got a pretty low batting average, this one, so. Dang. Um not to put you on the spot, but do you have a favorite of your uh, Vestron video discs? I have not watched them all. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> probably have not watched most of them. I'm trying to think. Um, I know Chopping Mall is the first one, and that one's pretty uh, pretty good if you're looking for an entry uh, because it's – do you know what that movie's about at all? Oh, I'm very familiar with Chopping Yeah. Mall. I almost bought the vinyl uh, from a friend of mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's not a great movie, but it is fun. Um, I'm trying to think what other ones I've seen. I know uh, The Gate is one that a lot of people say is great, um, but I have not watched that one yet. Um, um, if you do watch The Gate, uh, I had Kyle watch it. Um, he wasn't overly thrilled with it, but mm-hmm. um, it has it's a special effects showcase. Like you can tell they they did like every trick they had. It was kind of like a Peter Jackson exhibition of just special effects techniques. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think the important thing to do when you watch that movie is uh. 
put yourself try to try to put yourself in the mentality of a child um, because the movie works better uh, if you're if you're very young when you saw it because mm-hmm. um, it's not legit scary but there's certain aspects to what happened later in the film that's like oh man is a little boy this this is nightmare fuel right here yeah <laughs> but as an adult it's like well that's not really scary like <laughs> I, I do like those horror films that are aimed at kids like even when i watch one now i feel like for a first time watch uh i still get some enjoyment out of it because i can sort of because i watched a lot of those you know kid horror movies growing up when i was young and so i can kind of put myself in those shoes again and be like man i this would have been my sort of been catnip for me when i was like five years old i would have loved this so i mean i that is one that i do want to check out at some point and i I have it i just you know just haven't haven't gotten around to it yet (laughs) (laughs) well it's not going anywhere yeah also another thing to mention about those vestron uh, blu-rays transfers on them aren't the greatest which is upsetting because they're supposed to be you know collector's series and there's a lot of special features on them but yeah the transfers are they they leave something to be desired. They could have they could have been better. Gotcha. Um, well, I guess it's to me. Uh, this is going to be me pulling a fast one. I didn't actually set these discs aside, but as you were talking, like I said, I'm going to try my best to match you beat for beat okay. here. Um, the entire um, the entire physical release catalog of uh, Marvel's Netflix programming. Um, I own. I own all the discs they put out, okay. at least officially. Anyway, there, there are bootlegs flowing out, out there. So what is this, my number two, I guess? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I own what? Um, Daredevil season one and two, Jessica Jones season one, Luke Cage season one, and Iron Fist season one. And that is the entirety of what was put out in physical media, officially. And that is not the entirety of the programming yeah. that is available on Netflix, which... Um, <laughs> To, to explain things a little bit, I don't have Netflix. Um, I've I've had it like here and there, like a free trial when I when we were doing Netflix exclusive movies for the show every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I just don't have streaming services. Um, and so I was hoping to plow my way through those. I did eventually um, during one of those free trials. Uh, but you know, it would have been nice to, to like have more than a third of what's available on Netflix on my shelf. Um, and they didn't even they didn't even get around to the defenders on Blu-ray, um, which is supposed to be the culmination of that first act of of those series. And they didn't even get to that. Mm-hmm. They got right to the precipice of it, where it's like, hey, let's put out the worst show of the entire catalog on disc, and then not the not the follow up that you know brings it all home and puts it all together. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little bummed about that. That that is really disappointing. I mean, like. Just the yeah, the fact that now you're just like left with half a half a series on disc. I mean, it's yeah, it's definitely a bummer. Yeah, I mean, I have a, a DVD on my shelf as well, Exo Squad, which was a Fox Kids cartoon in the mid '90s. That I think it only ran two seasons, but as far as I understand, the second season was never put out on physical media. Mm-hmm. So I just have that lonely first season <laughs> on disc. Um, but yeah, it's really disappointing whenever a line just collapses. This one, this one I saw coming. Like I had a, I had a feeling that they were not gonna finish it because first thing, it's like it's it's a Netflix exclusive. Um, maybe not for, not for the foreseeable future. I don't know how long the rights uh, was it NBC or ABC has uh, 
to to those shows but now that disney plus exists i would imagine they're going to migrate there eventually mm-hmm. um, whenever the rights expire or whatever but just the the quality of the discs it seemed apparent that somebody lacked confidence in them because uh, there's there's zero features i don't even think there's a chapter skip really it, they're just like as bare bones as they get yeah um yeah it, i don't even know why i started buying those maybe i think secretly i was hoping i could get by just just buying all of them and watching them that way without having to you know insert myself into the uh, the netflix environment but didn't work out yeah i i i do wish that there were more physical releases of netflix shows like ones that i actually really enjoy um because uh, yeah i mean like i have netflix now but am i gonna have netflix forever i mean who knows i well to be I mean, to be honest, I'm not even paying for it right now. I'm sharing somebody's account. But um, are they going to have Netflix <laughs> forever? Who knows? So, uh, yeah, there's definitely a few that if they did come out with physical releases, I, I would probably purchase them. Yeah, I mean, it, that's always the thing with physical media. And I'm sure this is a conversation you've had with your friends is that like when you have something, a product that's exclusive to a single ecosystem, a digital ecosystem, what happens if that ecosystem dissolves or mm-hmm. goes extinct? That Does the product cease to exist? Is it available anywhere else? Or does it just vanish into the ether never to be seen again? Um, I would hate to see that happen with certain products where it's like, you know, it would be nice to, to have a more permanent means <laughs> means of screening these things, Yeah. Um, i.e. physical media. Yeah, and they, they um, almost, they were getting there. They were working on it, and now... I mean, if if the rest of the series does disappear into just vapor, if Netflix collapses, I mean, thousands of years from now, scholars will dig up your Blu-rays and think that, uh, you know, it would, Daredevil only had two seasons. They'll think that that was the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that'll be their first thought. No, no, it'll probably be more like Turbo Kid or something. Yeah. They'll turn it into, like, a, a edged weapon of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that was what my number two. Yeah. So is that is that to you for your your number one? Well, you know, I gotta say, uh, this kind of worked out perfectly because my number one very similar to your number two, and this is uh, for me this is the ultimate embarrassment. It is embarrassing because of the packaging, because of the price I paid for it, because of the fact that I went and bought it day one at the store because I thought it was going to like sell out and be like a rarity. And, uh, because I just, uh, I gotta be honest. I don't think, uh, it's that good. I don't think I'll ever rewatch it. And, uh, that is another Netflix TV show. It is stranger things season one with the VHS packaging. Now, first of all, the packaging of this, I, I know I had Texas chainsaw massacre as a, uh, honorable mention because of its size this is even bigger this literally i don't even put i can't even put it on my shelf i literally have it sitting on the floor most of the time um it's supposed to, <laughs> it's, it's supposed to look like a vhs which when i saw that that was announced i was like wow that's so cool like i mean it's gonna look like a vhs packaging it opens up and it's got a tape which in theory i like that but it's way bigger than a vhs it's not even really? close to the size. Like it's like Yeah, actually in your hand I can see it is bigger. Yeah. So it's almost like, okay, well well then what even is the point of this? Like <laughs> it, I mean you could have tried maybe you could have done like those uh you know, like the 
the clamshell VHS cases that uh, they had. Th- those were a little bigger. Maybe you could have done something like that. Who knows? Well, I think the problem is the width of a standard Blu-ray disc is probably wider than a VHS tape. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you could have done, like, the VHS big box thing where, you know, they would do that for racy movies or eye-catching horror movies mm-hmm. or kids programming and stuff. They did that back in the day. But the the innards of it, maybe they could have done differently to better accommodate the, the proportions of the VHS. Yeah. It, it's also a lot taller than a regular VHS, too. So, I mean, maybe if they could have kept that the same size, I don't know. But So I'm I'm not too crazy about the packaging of it. Also, uh, you know, when I fir- first saw that it was announced, I think I saw it on Blu-ray.com, people were going nuts for this. They were like, this is the coolest thing ever. People were saying, I'm going to Target, because I think it's Target exclusive. They said, I'm going to Target as soon as the stores open on release day. I'm going in and getting this. So I said, wow, I want to get this. I better go day one. People are going to, this thing's going to sell out. So I actually went that morning. I didn't even wait till the afternoon. I didn't, I wasn't like waiting outside the door when they opened, but I went that morning to go buy this. And I thought that's how tough to find this was going to be. I thought it was going to be an exclusive thing. I mean, it was going to be worth so much money down the road. You can still find these things sitting on the shelf in Target. Like, they didn't even come close to selling these out. Um, (laughs) And I I paid full price for it. These things, I've seen it where they, like, dropped it down to, like, $9.99. And I I don't know. I can't remember how much I paid for it. But it was way more than that. Um and uh, they came out with season two. I didn't even bother picking that one up because of my embarrassment with this one. Then they, I don't think, unless I'm mistaken, they did not come out with season three. So there's another one where the series, at least as far as I know, is incomplete on Blu-ray. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a show that I, I enjoyed to some extent, but I have no desire to ever really rewatch this. So it just sits on my floor total eyesore not even worth the effort to sell because you could like i could probably make like three bucks off of this maybe who knows so i uh, mean if you have to ship it to somebody there there yeah. there you go there's your profit margin exactly <laughs> we need Dang, a, that sucks we need a way to like dispose of blu-rays that are embarrassing kind of like a paper shredder but for blu-rays because like you don't want to put them in the trash because then like you're you know you're like garbage people might see it and then they might start laughing at you like this guy actually bought stranger things season one on blu-ray <laughs> so you don't want that to happen so you need like a way to like you know confidently d- dispose of it so no one knows that you ever bought it well hey i mean american assassin and mile 22 like I live in Seattle. People will make assumptions about me if I bring yeah. those to the counter at like a secondhand store. Like, I'm pretty sure people will be pretty forgiving if you try to like pawn like Stranger Things. That's true. Like, that that is true. Know, that's that's not a bad show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but like American Assassin, look like get that out of here. What? You paid money for that? What an idiot! You could go go up and try and come up with some. Although it'd be kind of hard to do now. Like if if you bought them when they first come out, watched them, and then just said, okay, I, I want to get rid of these. You could have taken them to the store and been like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I got these for my birthday. And uh, yeah, it was just, uh, <laughs> I didn't like them at all. <laughs> it's like, it was your birthday last week. <laughs> it's like, shut up. You don't know me. <laughs> oh, but, shit. I, I actually haven't seen Stranger Things, but I have people 
all around me telling telling me I ought to watch it. Didn't they? Aren't they like fast tracking or weren't they fast tracking like the next season or something? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was supposed to come out sometime this year, but I don't think it was finished filming or maybe that maybe it was in post production. I don't know, but I'm assuming it's getting pushed because of nobody nobody's able to work anymore. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, the show itself is it's it's good. It's worth watching, but I mean. When it first came out, people were just losing their shit over this. Like people were going nuts, and I never thought it was at that level. I mean, it's it's a fun watch. I think it's just the '80s nostalgia. People just kind of, you know, went crazy for it. Yeah, it kind of it was it hit at exactly the right moment because mm-hmm. we the '80s nostalgia was already rolling. I think by the time it got going, but it kind of like gave it steroids yeah. and really made the wave gigantic. Um, but now I feel like we're starting to get to the point where we're starting to get early '90s nostalgia, and I'm starting to feel old. Um, yeah. So like, <laughs> so like, I feel like Stranger Things probably should wrap up pretty soon or move on to something else because we're. I think the '80s nostalgia, like, it is here to stay, but I feel like we're gonna start to get to the point where like mainstream products are starting to push the timeline forward a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the just the the colored lighting and the thrumming synth soundtracks—it's so ubiquitous these days. That's like, oh my god! Like, I do like this. Like, people of a certain age, we we all do have an appreciation for this. But if it's everywhere all the time, I don't need everything to be Kung Fury. Kung yeah. Fury is only special because it's Kung Fury. Don't don't all of you try to be Kung Fury because you're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I can agree with you on that. Um. So I guess that's to me um, my number one. I'm gonna I'm gonna mutate it into something a little different right here on the spot, just like I did before. So bear with me just one second. All right. Yep. So because uh, I have too many movies, um, <laughs> this is gonna be a two-way tie for the number one spot. And actually, one of these movies I have no problems with. I think it's actually a decent movie, uh, especially the version that I have here. Uh, so for my number one. Um, you you had a lot of complaints about packaging, mm-hmm. so I figured I ought to I ought to do some of that here. Uh, so what I have here is um, the Best Buy exclusive box for <laughs> the Wolverine, um, which just like you with your Stranger Things Target version, I ran out. Ooh. Uh, it's I seldom run out to physical stores to buy movies. This one this is the only way you could get this movie. Uh, the big selling point was that it's the only way as far as I understand, outside of maybe digital, to get the R-rated version of the Wolverine, um, which has a couple of additional scenes and instances of bloodletting, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. <laughs> um, I think it's the complete version of the movie for the most part. Um, the one we got in the theater is missing a little bit of punch, I guess. Uh, so mostly I just don't like it because it's an oblong shape. Like, it's very deep. Yeah, that is um, really and It's massive. Yeah. yeah, it's an odd shape, and it doesn't have a way to close the front face of it, so it just kind of, like, threatens to spill its guts out onto my floor all the time. <laughs> if, so it's, if I had that on my shelf, I would lose sleep at night. I can tell you that much. That's uh... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just pulling it out here, like, you probably couldn't hear it on the mic, but there was an, oh, God. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> I very, very quietly let one of those out yeah. uh, because, yeah, it's it's awkward packaging. It's actually handsome packaging. Um, it looks nice, but the materials used are definitely on the cheap side. Um, but on the whole, it's a nice package. Like it, it has like the whole postcards and like a free comic and 
like sleeves and multiple discs. It's it's a handsome package. It's just it's cumbersome. It's awkward. And I did not appreciate that I had to pay out the nose for it and run out to my Best Buy just so I could see a fucking ninja go into a snowblower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because, God damn it, I needed that in my life. At least it does <laughs> have that R-rated version. Like, it's not like you, you know, win all out just to get the version that's the same as, like, you know, the regular Blu-ray. At least you're getting at least something th- exclusive to that one. I'm not paying 40 bucks for a fucking box. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm paying for ninjas in snowblowers. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one I have here, uh, which I pulled off before, um, this one is set aside very early on. Um, the Death and Return of Superman, complete <laughs> with steel action figure. Uh, I haven't collected action figures in quite a while. Um, I collect a variety of things, but not superhero action figures. Um not really my jam these days anyway uh i do you read comic books at all brad not really no i mean i've read uh like watchmen and i just finished reading through all the walking dead uh graphic novel comic books but uh i mean other than that no i'm pretty i'm pretty much a novice in that area okay well um i i used to be really into superhero comics um pretty much up until i was in college and then after that i kind of dropped the habit cold like i haven't touched him again since but uh marvel and dc uh, in the early 90s i think my brother had like a subscription to both companies at one point so we'd get like uh monthly packs of comics and i would he would he would consume them and i'd I'd get all the leftovers um it just so happens that 1993 i think was the big year where batman got his back broke and superman died um and the death of superman is well known like in American culture as a thing that people who know nothing about comic books generally know about Mm -hmm. Uh, because it was on it was on national news it was a thing Um, and this is actually DC and Warner Brothers second try well maybe third try including Batman versus Superman of adapting the story to some sort of film Uh, the first DC animated film straight to DVD was the death of Superman Uh, it was called Superman Doomsday and for whatever the fuck reason, they just can't, they just can't tell the fucking story. <laughs> like, I don't know what their fucking problem is, but they just they just can't tell the story. It's just like, just do what you did. <laughs> like, why mm-hmm. do you gotta invent new stuff? Because Superman Doomsday takes a massive left turn out of nowhere at the midway point to the point that there's like a clone evil Superman with a kryptonite bomb in his brain and <laughs> like. <laughs> And this one starts out fairly close to the source material, even closer than Superman Doomsday was because it, like, factors in the Justice League and stuff, which that one didn't even... They just pretended, like, oh, they're all out of town. It's like, <laughs> it's like you mean the Earth's under attack? Oh, they're all out of town. It's like, it's a problem in any comic book story where it's like, so we have a problem that can very easily be solved by Thor or the Hulk. It's like, how do we make this an actual problem? It's like, well, it's just put him on vacation <laughs> it's like make it so captain america is the only one in town at the time <laughs> and they did that in superman doomsday but this movie very long story short is not very good um it's actually two movies combined into one um and the reason i bought this big stupid fucking box with this dumb action figure in it that will never come out of the packaging is because this is the only way to get um a version of the movie that just marries the two independent films into a single like seamless film which 
is what which is how i'd prefer i don't want to have two different discs on my shelf for the death the return it's like why can't i just have the death and the return yeah <laughs> so, yeah so i thought that so i thought i was making a smart move here and then i watched it and i was like oh my god this is not good at all the return portion of it's where it completely like falls flat on its face it's it's awful the death portion of it is okay um jerry o'connell is superman of all people he's like it's not a bad choice it's just you mean the fat kid from stand by me is not superman now you got me interested now i'm interested <laughs> this is like i didn't care before but now i do <laughs> but yeah it's just big dumb packaging and as far as i understand the, the combining of the two films i mean they're not good to begin with so just making a three-hour movie it, you just i just made a bad movie even worse by making it twice as long <laughs> congratulations Trevor. <laughs> now, let me ask you do you because you've got it kind of like the box right there do you keep that entire box on the shelf or is there an individual a, blu-ray that can come out and you can put that on the shelf uh there is an individual blu-ray in there but i'm a loser so i keep it in the box <laughs> <laughs> well you got to keep so the action it, figure somewhere right so you might as well i mean it's a it's a it's a totem. It's an it's a reminder that you are not wise and you need to be put in your place every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> you need someone around you to help you make informed decisions about your movie choices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that is probably the biggest Blu-ray blunder. It's it's legit not actually. I have far worse movies on my shelf, but just the just the fact that it comes in a big dumb package and it's bad. And it made it twice as bad by deciding to buy the big dumb box. It's yeah. it's just a big slap in the face to myself. It checks all the boxes. <laughs> it certainly does. Now let, let me ask you this: If yeah. we said like all of a sudden we we're like, all right, now that we put these on our thing, we have to throw them in the trash. That's that's what our thing, our top bottom five. We got to throw them in the trash. Would you say, hang on, I'm actually going to hang on to a couple of these because I would probably hang on to my 4ks and my two vestron video collector series but uh stranger things i can put that in the trash uh I, not that i actually will but i i, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it <laughs> definitely the big lebowski steelbook i'm surprised i haven't thrown that in the trash already i mean it's readily available in so many other better formats. exactly in fact, like i wouldn't be surprised if a 4k would come out eventually coen mm -hmm. brothers are held in very high regard yeah universal is a pretty big publisher like, mm -hmm. <laughs> they'll get to it but i think i would toss american assassin yeah <laughs> and and the death and return of superman but all the other ones it's like you know Fist of the North Star and Cyborg, like Fist of the North Star, I'm keeping that. Yeah. Fuck. The only other, I actually have a bootleg DVD of it, so this is a huge upgrade from that, even though it's a intensely flawed disc. Mm -hmm. Um, and all the martial arts movies, it's like you know, I I knew up front they weren't going to be good, so it's it's not, it doesn't, it's not like a, a deep wound or anything. It's just like yeah, you know, whatever. Yep. Mm -hmm. But yeah, American Assassin is going in the garbage yeah. someday. <laughs> I hate myself for having that. Especially because, you know, American Assassin, it's like right at the start of the collection. I mean, if you're going alphabetically, people are looking like that's one of the first ones they're going to hit. Yeah, honestly, like I've, I've had a couple of people come in here and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, what's this doing here? <laughs> Actually, that's a good question. What? 
what's the first uh, alphabetically on your on your shelf for Blu-rays? Mine is Ten Cloverfield Lane, which I, uh, is a pretty solid movie. So I, I got no shame oh. in that one. So I do the weird thing, and this is unconventional, I'd imagine, where I I alphabetize numbers. Mm-hmm. So ten would be would be a T. Okay, gotcha. Um, so yeah, um, going by that, uh, a better tomorrow is mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a John Woo movie. It's one of his early awesome ones. There you go. So I, I guess we I guess we both have good ones up front. That's kind of good. Yeah, yeah. You start. We're starting strong at least. Yeah, yeah, and then you you go like three or four to the right, and it's like, oh, yeah. What? <laughs> it doesn't take long to find a blunder. It does not take long. Oh, it takes like two steps on mine because I think I think the accountant's up there, and he's like, that's not good either. <laughs> the, the Ben Affleck one is that is that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not proud to own that either. Oh fuck! I think it's a four K too. <laughs> it does have a slipcase though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But that is also a very bad movie for the most part. Yeah. Um, although, you know, Ben Affleck punching John Bernthal. It's like, sure. <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, that's that's Daredevil punching Punisher again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Different Daredevil, though. <laughs> um, so uh, one last thing before we wrap up. I just thought this could be fun. Um, we'll just do quick, simple uh, – I think, I think we should just do a thing where we pick, like, a letter of the alphabet and just – Pick whatever you feel like off your shelf, whatever you feel like talking about. Okay. Um, and we'll just command each other to pick a random movie off the shelf. And uh, you went first for the for the back and forth here, Brad. So you wanna you wanna pick a letter, and I'll pick a movie for you. Yeah, let's go with uh, let's go with the letter B for Brad. How about that? <laughs> Why sure. not? One sec. Okay, I have a B for you here. Um, this is a disc that I I might end up replacing very shortly here. Um. This is Big Trouble in Little China. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Are you? Have you seen this one? Bro? Yeah, I love that movie. I'm assuming you might be upgrading to the uh, the Scream Factory edition. Bingo. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd very much like to know more about the making of this movie because I, I adore this film. I think I first saw it on one of uh, Joe Bob Briggs's uh, uh, TNT Monster Vision exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Uh, good times. I missed that. Um, doesn't he have a show on Shudder now? He does. Yeah, I haven't watched any of it though. But yeah, he does. I whenever I get Shudder again, which uh, I think they have actually a promotion going on right now. I I think the code is shut in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for for like a, a week long free trial, I might do that, and uh, I might check out his show because I he's responsible for for introducing me to a lot of uh, both trashy and great horror movies and whatnot. But yeah, Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite John Carpenter movies, one of my favorite Kurt Russell performances. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many little things in it that I just love. Like, I like how uh, his character, even on the poster, is framed as being like the action hero lead. But in the actual film, it's like, no, he's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I mean, that his catchphrase, it's all in the reflexes. Like, that describes his character to a T. That's all he's got. He's <laughs> utterly incompetent. He's not even that great of a fighter. But he's got decent reflexes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I just love how the movie, like, it pulls a fast one on you where it, like, it tricks you into thinking, like, oh, obviously he's going to be the, the hero and stuff. It's like, no, it's it's his friend. It's totally his friend's movie. He's just there for the ride. He just won't stay home for some reason <laughs> because he, he's owed, like, a couple hundred bucks or something. 
And it's way it's way more fun to watch than just like you know him being the hero anyway. Like it's it's way more entertaining oh. to watch that sort of like tag along for the ride type thing. And well, yeah, Kurt Russell, like his his attitude, his personality is his big selling point. Like mm-hmm. he's he's so much fun. He's Captain Ron. He's he's just Captain Ron all the time. <laughs> but but yeah, I absolutely love this movie. Um, but uh, Brad, um, I think I will pick for you. Um, let's go T for Trevor. All right, let's see here. Um, all right. So this one is uh, from Kino. It is the Taking of Pelham One Two Three, the original. Have you seen this film? I haven't seen the original. No, I've only yeah. seen the not so great remake. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I watched this for the first time. Uh, I think it was 2019. Sometime I watched it. Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. I mean, you've got Robert Shaw as the villain and, uh, I mean, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen that many Robert Shaw performances, but obviously I love him in Jaws and he's awesome in this. Uh, Walter Matthau is the sort of the subway security communications officer who's communicating with him as Robert Shaw has taken a train hostage and very uh suspenseful very intense and uh it's uh just a great like uh sort of what 1974 great 70s suspense thriller and uh definitely better than the uh john travolta denzel washington version although that one i think has its it's got its moments in that one as well but (laughs) this one is definitely the superior version yeah the the editing of the remake is where it shows its it's very much a moment in time movie where it's like, what year was this made? Yeah. I think I have an idea. It's like, it yeah. has that look and that feel where it's like, this is like low budget. Well, not low budget, but this is like uh, enemy of the state, but not good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I Thrillers from that era are always interesting. Cause like it has that seventies grime, I'd imagine. Yeah. It's oh like, yeah. Just the world looked more dangerous in general. And a lot of like the, like the casting and whatnot, you you had a lot more character in people's faces, I feel. Like it was more common to have leading people who looked more weathered, like just rougher people in general. And Robert Shaw fits that to a T. Walter Matthau, like he's he's like, what, a human basset hound, basically? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, I forgot Walter Matthau was in that, but I know uh, my buddy Kyle, he actually was wanting to explore more of his filmography. So if he hasn't seen that one, I'll have to tell him like maybe check that one out um mm-hmm. i know uh force 10 from navarone is getting a blu-ray release uh this month i think and that was a robert shaw and harrison ford um i think from russia with love uh jaws and that are the only movies i've seen him in but I, he's great in all of them that's true <laughs> and i did uh i think we talked about this uh some other time ago but yeah i did watch from russia with love not too uh long ago and he's great in that as well so Oh yeah, um, you got a reprieve on your uh, your James Bond catching up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I I uh, got to Moonraker and I was starting to feel the wear and tear of watching all these in a row, and then I got the opportunity to hit pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, watching them all back to back to back to back is is a little exhausting. I've done it myself. Um, <laughs> it mm-hmm. takes something away from you. You come out a, a new man. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> but. Yeah, that's good that you got a little bit of a break. Um, although I was kind of excited for that one, so it's a shame we won't be getting it as quickly as I was hoping. Yeah, it would have been this Friday, actually. I think it would have come out. So, yeah, oh, I think it was yeah. April 10th it was going to come out. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, 
uh, Carrie Pukunaga's uh, No Time to Die. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I told you before, but I, I there was like a rumor going around online that the, the production was encountering problems because he was addicted to Red Dead redemption yeah. 2 <laughs> the right, director was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like being called away from work <laughs> yeah he i don't know if there's any validity to that he could have taken his time playing red dead 2 now if he had known they were gonna have until november he could have you know finished the game and done some of the online multiplayer and he wouldn't have to rush through it <laughs> it's probably cursing the heavens right yeah. now <laughs> like, damn it <laughs> uh well brad it was a ton of fun having you on the show uh, I I look forward to doing this again, uh, hopefully very shortly. Because you know, it like I said, I I told you off air. I feel like the products that people have, unless they're a hoarder or something, and they just impulsively grab whatever gravitates to them uh, for whatever reason. I feel like, especially like movies and whatnot, almost every product you take in, you bring into your home. There's a reason why you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as evidenced by our very long conversation here, it seems like. You know, every, we all have, we both have stories about all the movies we have on our shelf. Yeah. And I, I think it's fun to open the door and just, you know, get right into it because these are stories we don't very often have reason to tell people. Um, so, yeah, this is a good outlet, I think, for me, hopefully for you too. Yeah. This was a ton of fun, man. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Hopefully people like listening to us uh, talk about Blu rays for over an hour because I, I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, I could have gone for another three hours and I wouldn't have run out of stuff to talk about. All right. Well, maybe I'll have to have you on here uh, sooner rather than later. <laughs> That'd be great, man. Um, That'd be great. Uh, uh, but before we sign off, I'll I'll let you take the floor and you know let the let the folks at home know where they can find you. Yeah. So uh, we're again Cinema Speak podcast is our podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter, it's at the Cinema Speak, or we're on Instagram Cinema Speak podcast, or just wherever you find podcasts, just search for Cinema Speak, and you'll be able to find us there. All right. Well, thanks again, Brad. Uh, And uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time.